All right, uh, you're kind of warmed up. Uh, last week's sermon, we've been talking about being salt and light in the world, right? We've been talking about being evangelistic and gathering in and being who we are in the Lord, which is, which is you know, children of God, but children of God who bless the world and gather people into the family of God. Uh, last week, we talked about this parable, the wise and foolish builders. Jesus said, if you hear the commands of mine and you do them, well, you're like a, a wise person who builds house on a rock, and no matter what comes against it, the house will stand and be strong and glorious. But if you, if you hear the commands of Christ, the invitations of Christ, and you don't follow through on them, then you're like a foolish person who builds his house on sand and when the storms come, the sand crumbles away, and everything in life just kind of crashes down on you, and you feel junk. Uh, and so we kind of broke that down last week and talked about the ways of chaos and the ways of try. Remember that? We had 10 of each because I like numbered lists. Uh, so pop quiz, who can name the ways of chaos? Go. Delay. I liked it that that was the first answer. Well, what? Fit. Vagueness, vagueness. Yeah, what do you mean by that? I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> delay, vagueness. Thrives Chaos thrives in fear. What else? Emotional. Chaos is really emotional. Really, really respects emotions. I mean, we're all emotional, right? But chaos lets emotion run the show. That's, that's where the problem is. What else? It distracts you, yes. What else? Chaos is a perfectionist, yeah. Yeah, which means nothing gets done. <laughs> what else? Almost ready. Almost ready. What, what was this? Doubtful. doubtful, fearful, doubtful. Yeah. Thrives in fear. Thrives in fear. Never quite enough. Never quite enough. You're reading your notes. You're cheating. <laughs> this is a pop quiz. You're a teacher. All right, let's switch. Ways of try. Somebody give me like some of the ways of try. Ways of try. You're going to be a great trier, because faith is trying, right? You're going to be a great trier. What kind of skills, uh, values, virtues, strengths do you need to master? Go. Start on Thursday, which is to stay, start now, whenever now happens to be, right? Don't wait for the perfect day. What? Go through the motions. Yeah, that's interesting. If you're a great trier, you go through the motions, because 80% of anything is just showing up, right? Right? And so there's nothing wrong with going through the motions. It's a lot better than sitting on the couch eating chips. Progress. Makes progress, yeah. You can, try doesn't succeed every day, but trying makes progress every day. And trying, try is obsessive about progress. Yeah, just progress, not perfection, progress. What else? Attitude. Try drips with attitude. That's what I'm talking about. Davey, stand up and give me some attitude right now. Come on. Make some attitude. There you are. I will take it. What else? Is intentional, right? So it makes plans routines, right? Uh, yeah, that's super important. Like, because you, you don't really follow through on things that you don't plan to follow through on, right? Yeah, one more. You try in the midst of stuff, right? Which means you set priorities. 
uh, there is, there's never that clean time where you can just kind of focus on what you really want to focus on. Life is super crowded. We just talked about that. And so if you're going to do good things, you're going to do them in the, in the midst of things that are driving you nuts and squeezing you and giving you pressure. And that's actually the only way to be a great trier in the world. All right, that's good enough. You guys are paying attention. Give yourselves a hand. Warm-up question number two, who outside of your immediate family and friends, did you shape this week? Who did you significantly influence this week outside of your immediate family and friends? I'm going to give you eight seconds to think about it. Go. Eight seconds, buddy. Who did you shape significantly influence this week outside of immediate family and friends? Cause... Lila. You shaped Lila? Thank goodness somebody's getting on that. She might, she might count as immediate friend, I don't know, but yeah. Students, because you're a teacher. Yeah, I love, I'm, teachers are such frontline ministers. I mean, it's such a great calling to be a teacher. Yeah. How many of you can think of someone, like, you really had no reason to shape them, if you know what I mean, but you did, because you did, because you up and tried it. How many of you have someone that, like that this week? How many of you are like, okay, honestly, no one? but I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah, we're, we're a shame-free place. You can raise your hand. That's okay. I'll mock you later. Just kidding. It might also be interesting to ask, I was thinking uh, earlier this morning, who shaped you this week that had no reason to? You know, that guy who cut you off in traffic maybe ruined your day. You know, you gave him power to shape you. Uh, or somebody on the job who is chaotic as opposed to faith-oriented, and that person's chaos shaped you, you know, rather than uh, your faith shaping that person. Culture has a lot of power. We always say that culture is the best coach. It's one of our sayings at Blue Water. So we try, try to create a kingdom culture of faith and trying here, love and grace. Oh, grace is so important, right? Um, a kingdom culture. But the culture outside of these walls is not kingdom at all. Jesus called it the spirit of the world. And it's just everywhere. It's atmospheric. And so it's really easy to get shaped by that. We want to be culture shapers as opposed to culture receivers uh, in, in the world. In this sermon series, I've been quoting a lot offhandedly from uh, Matthew 5, Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, so I thought we'd just put them up on the board and read through them quickly today. Matthew chapter 5, right at the very beginning of Jesus' most famous teaching, uh, which is the Sermon on the Mount, probably the most influential moral teaching in human history. Right here, three chapters toward the beginning of the book of Matthew it appears in fractional form in Luke and Mark a little bit too. But what's happened here in this story toward the beginning of Jesus' ministry is that he's become famous because of his power um, and because of his style. Uh, he's casting out a bunch of demons. He's healing a bunch of people. He's changing water into wine at weddings and cool stuff like that. But he doesn't seem very religious. He seems a little bit out of bounds. He's like creating a lot of turbulence and topsy-turviness in, 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 the, in the culture of his people and his time. 
And so people are starting to follow him and seek him out. And this crowd has come to him out on the outskirts of civilization. He's gone to this remote sort of place. And people are coming to him not just from his region or from urban regions, but from other countries. And the people who are coming are people who like his message and need what he's offering in terms of ministry, the sick, the, the, the demonized, the oppressed, right? And people who are dissatisfied with the institutions of their day, right? So those are, it's a rabble crowd, right? It's a very rough and tumble sort of crowd. And Jesus looks out on these ramshackle people and he says, you are the salt of the earth. Can you imagine, right? They come to him because they feel in need and he says, oh, you guys are the elite of the elite. What? You are the salt of the earth. You are the spice of the world. Right? That's what he's saying to them. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Okay, that went from being very encouraging to kind of scary in about three seconds. And then he continues, and you're the light of the world. Now we're back to being ridiculously encouraging again. You guys are the elite of the elite, he says. And a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a light, <clears throat> excuse me, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Whoever you think you are, you are supposed to change the world. Whoever you think you are, no matter what need and what inferiority you dragged in here today, right? Jesus' opening message to you is, all right, we got to get you to a place where you're the light of the entire planet, which is a very ambitious goal. I mean, look around you, right? It's a very ambitious goal. And then he throws in what is essentially a threat. And if you don't do this, you're useless, right? Which is a bracing way to say, don't you dare miss the point of your life. Don't you dare waste the life you've been given on something that is inferior and pointless. Don't you dare do that because you have life. And that was Jesus' opening message in his most famous moral teaching. I think it's just such a significant point, and we hear it so often that sometimes we fail to appreciate how significant it is. But a big part of what we're doing at Blue Water Mission is to say, all comers, culture of grace, whomever. Now, we're gathering here uh, to try hard to prevent you from missing out on the point of your life which is to know God, to bring his spirit to the world, and to change things for tons of people, the entire planet, as Jesus says it. Uh, don't miss the point of your life. Uh, we're going to do in the new year another Pathway to Purpose conference. Do you guys remember Pathway to Purpose, which is just sort of to uh, gather people together and, and to talk about identifying and empowering their life purpose uh, but let me explain to the uninitiated our idea about pathway to purpose. The idea is essentially this. Finding your life purpose, fairly easy. 
people obsess about it all the time, and there are tons of books and self-help movements and stuff to find your right purpose and, the, and I don't know, the color of your parachute, and what are, what are some of the other ones? I don't know. Uh, but you find the right thing. I actually think that's very easy to do. I think it's actually fairly easy to identify someone's calling in life. Here's what's hard. Implementing it. Building it into your life. Because whatever your purpose is, whatever your calling is, whatever your goal is, you have to build a road to it, right? You have to build a way to get there to make it happen in your life. So we think in terms of pathways, right? It's not just preaching purpose. It's helping each other build the pathway so that you don't stray from the pathway of purpose in your life. And, and to me, that kind of sums up a lot of kingdom living. Like most of you could articulate your life calling-ish. You know, you get in the area. But you drift from your pathway all the time. Why? Well, I mean, chaos maybe, and the different ways to talk about it. Culture, lots of things push you off your pathway. So that's what we talk about. Last week, we talked about ways of chaos and ways of try, because that's, uh, to me, really useful and kind of making sure that we're on our pathway to purpose and that we're progressing every day because Jesus says that's incredibly important. Um, but today I just wanted to very briefly talk about the three pillars of the pathway. This is another way to kind of organize our thinking on it. I want to talk about mission, method, and mindset. The three M's, because I learned a long time ago that if you're going to be a cool preacher, you have to use alliteration. So, so I start these three words with M. I, I, I prayed and fasted for three days to come up with the alliteration. Not really, but mission, method, and mindset. Um, and just to equip you with that and to maybe stir you up and to give you this idea of building a pathway and staying on it because at the end of the day, we are supposed to be influential and the worst thing would be to be unsalty salt. Oh, that would be so bad. And so many of us are trying so hard to be salty in so many ways. I just want to make sure that that becomes a contagion, right? Uh, so mission, method, and mindset on the pathway to purpose. Number one, mission. And by mission, I mean uh, you need to be clear on what you want to accomplish in life. Yeah. I'm not going to talk about this a lot today because in some ways we, we talk about it a fair bit. A Blue Water Mission. Um, we've been talking specifically on the ministry of what is typically called evangelism, which means gathering in, right? Gathering people into the family of faith, gathering people into the life of following Jesus, our model in faith, gathering people into relationship with the Creator God who speaks and guides even today, filling people with the Holy Spirit. And we talk about this a ton, right? We talk about this a ton. All of us share an essential mission, which is to expand the order of heaven on earth. Right? We talked about that fairly recently in, in a sermon. Within that general mission, we each will have a unique expression of it, or fairly unique expression of it. And when you identify your calling, your mission, what you're doing is you're simply identifying your best expression to your best means of doing the most good in the world in eternal terms. Because, of course, 
we're heading for eternity. This is just a pit stop. Um, I think it is supremely helpful, whatever you feel your calling on this planet is, to reflect on it in terms of this thing that we call evangelism or spreading the kingdom, because gathering people into faith is, is the most essential thing that we do to influence the world. Whatever institutions are operating on earth, whatever movements, if they are not filled, if they are not populated with good, strong people, they will get twisted and go awry. And the best way I know to create good, strong people is to put people in relationship with their creator God and disciple them in, in a, a tradition of, of righteousness and wisdom and generosity and love uh, that has been going strong for over 2,000 years now and produces goodness wherever it goes. You know, I could express it in different ways. But evangelism is sort of the, here's a fancy Latin phrase that I learned in grad school, it's the sine qua non. It is that without which nothing. Like if we don't do that well, then nothing else we do will matter for very long. And so we all need to participate in the gathering aspect, you know, influencing people for Christ. And if we fail to do that, then it doesn't matter how cool our boat is. It doesn't matter how well we cook. It doesn't matter how awesome our album release or the books that we write or the parties that we throw or anything else. You know, that that is the front edge of influence, our influence uh, in the world. So I'll just say that about mission. But everybody here is missional. Everybody here is purposeful. Everybody here has a God-given life purpose. And we all share a general purpose, which is to be the light. Now, how are you going to get it done? What is your unique expression of it? All right, that's mission. Number two, method. Be clear on how you're going to do your mission, both in terms of tactics and tools. How are you going to get it done? What is it you want to accomplish? How are you going to get it done? Break it down for me. What are you going to do today? What are you going to do this week? What are you going to do uh, this month? What tools and talents and gifts and resources are you going to bring to bear? What do you need uh, that you don't have? Method is negotiable. How you get stuff done in life is completely convertible. It really is not the main thing. And people make this mistake all the time. Jesus talked about it a lot in his earthly ministry. Uh, religious practice is a method, it's simply a church is just a method that we use to help each other uh, be in right relationship with God and, and right loving relationship with the world, right? It's just a method, it's negotiable. It's, I mean, it's uh, a super great method, you know, as history teaches us. Uh, and so, you know, I recommend that you commit to it. If you're Oh, and in Jesus' uh, life, people often critiqued him for violating religious custom. And then Jesus would respond and say, ah, but the way you are implementing that custom is getting in the way of true knowledge and experience of God. And so I'm going to throw that out. He usually didn't put it that way. He said, I'm going to put it in its right place and emphasize this over it. 
So from time to time in the course of your life, some method that you have, you will have to set aside or demote or elevate according to how effective it is in accomplishing what you want to accomplish. If a certain style of ministry, if a certain style of work, if a certain profession is no longer working for you, throw it away. Life is too short and you have important things to do. If your uh, I, I talked to a lot of young people recently, and some of them told me, well, my, my mission in life is to become a doctor. No, it's not. That's a terrible mission. You know, you know what a great mission is? To bring healing to the world, or to, to carry health and healing to people. That's a great mission. And if being a doctor is the best way to do it, great. If being a pharmacist is the great, best way to do it, or being a public policy analyst is the best way. Like, you choose the tool that you need to get it done. Being a teacher can be a great way to do it, right? Because most of the great advances in health and healing are the basic ones that uh, can be taught to many people at once. Um, so choose the tool and the means that are most helpful for you. If we go back to evangelism, what's the best way for you to influence people? It might be a boat. It probably is a boat, actually is what I'm thinking. Uh, but it might be uh, a meal. Um, or it might be joining a club. Uh, whatever. Method is negotiable. Nothing in your life gets done without a method, unless somebody forces you to do it. But because the kingdom stuff you do is all voluntary, you need a method to get it done. You need an executive function. You know what that is? Uh, some yeah, teachers do. Uh, a lot of kids are really bright, but they have no technique for learning. Sometimes smart kids perform poorly in classes because they're so smart, they never have to develop any tricks of the trade. They never have to develop a, uh, a schedule for studying because they can learn so much just by sitting in the classroom and listening, right? And then they get into college and they're like, oh, <laughs> Now I wish I had developed those study habits. What, what are your habits? What schedule? What are your routines? What are your priorities? Uh, and you need to develop those. You need a method to do whatever it is that you want to do in life. If you have an exercise routine, you are fit. If you don't have an ex exercise routine, you are not fit, period. Period. If you are influencing people for Jesus, it's because you have a routine. It's because you have a normal way of doing it, daily or weekly. If you are not influencing people for Jesus, then I will tell you right now, you don't have a routine. Because if you did have a routine, you would be influencing people for Jesus because his words are powerful in you. Period. Period. So find a method, whatever, uh, the sort of thing that we talk about at the Pathway to Purpose Conference, but it's also the sort of thing that we talk about in Ohana groups. Incidentally, great method, Ohana groups. You should probably get one. Um, so probably, I asked, I asked you earlier one of the warm-up questions, one, who did you shape this week? Who did you influence for God this week? Probably you all wanted to influence someone this week uh, for, for Jesus, but probably... You didn't plan it. Right? You didn't have a method for it. You didn't have a, a way of implementing it this week. It wasn't, 
It wasn't in your head. So you didn't plan for it, uh, so chaos took you. Chaos took your week, right? You were unsalty salt, simply because you didn't plan for it. You know? Which is why so much of the Bible is about scheduling and planning and ritual and all of these things that make the Old Testament really boring to read. Um, Sabbath customs and gatherings and stuff like that. Uh, my, my method uh, is at least once a week I have a conversation with, a, with a, uh, uh, essentially a non-believer, like someone that doesn't really have much of a, a spiritual life, in order to see if I can improve that person's uh, spiritual life. And then when I get together with whomever the person is that week, sometimes they're more than one, I ask questions. I have routine questions that I ask. I won't go over them again because I've told you them many times. And I manifest faith attitude in those conversations. So I ask, I asked provocative questions that I've learned to be very effective. And, and I just do it with such confidence and centeredness because people don't care what you believe, but they definitely want your faith. Right? They definitely want that attitude of strength and peace that you have in life. And so I try to manifest that. It's often my best testimony, actually. When I can ask something spiritual and not show a hint of fear, they're like, wow. And they have to deal with it. And uh, this was a great week. I had like three of those conversations. And uh, the questions always worked. I didn't get through all of my questions. but. Um, so my big contribution to your evangelistic life today is this. Do you have a method of evangelism you are currently using on a weekly basis, yes or no? Because you want to be salt and you want to be light and you want it so badly, you do. You do. You'll discover who you are, you'll feel the power flow. Oh, it will be fantastic. All right, number three, mindset, uh, which is simply employ an attitude. Whatever you do, employ an attitude. Faith is an attitude. We talk about this a lot. Attitude just means, it literally means posture or angle to something. So your attitude is what approach are you taking to something? Oh, Dave, you manifested Superman attitude uh, for us earlier in his posture, Right? He gave it a physical posture, which is technically an attitude. Of course, you have an emotional posture today. You have an intellectual posture today. Right? You have, a, well, I would say, a spiritual posture. Are you inclined to faith? Or are you inclined to caution? Are you inclined to, to try? Or are you inclined to fear? You all have this attitude. And you have to figure out how to wield your attitude in life and to wield your attitude on people. You know, love is an incredibly powerful thing. If you love tepidly, it doesn't work as well as if you love generously and freely. Freely you've received, Jesus says, so freely give, right? There's, there's an attitude to it. Are you, are you feeling me? So you have to learn to employ it. You have to learn to wield your attitude on things. Athletes know this because before the game, what do they do? They get psyched up. Right? which is not cheap emotionalism, it is just really, really good self-management. Right? And so you need to get psyched up about the things that are important to you. And I even have routines for attitude engagement uh, in life because my attitude naturally quite pessimistic. Um, so 
I do things that kind of get my game on, as a football coach of mine used to say. Um, so we talk about that a fair bit, but let's take a look just to end uh, on uh, my favorite teaching that Jesus gives on attitude. And it's actually from the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 3, we'll end on this. And you didn't know that Jesus made an appearance in the book of Revelation, did you? Or maybe you did. Revelation is uh, a big prophecy that God gives to uh, this fellow named John. And uh, he has a vision of Jesus in heaven, and then Jesus starts talking to John, and through John gives advice to all of these churches around, around the world, kind of stretching from like Asia Minor down into uh, the Middle East. And here are some words, some rather famous words that he says to a church in a place called Laodicea, uh, which would be a great baby name. And you might, you might remember these words. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. These are Jesus' words. I know your deeds, Jesus says to the church. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. That has always fascinated me. You know, there's so many things about that warning to the church that is helpful as I think about following Christ in my own life. Basically, he says, look, your problem is that you're a little blah. I mean, you're not terrible, but you're not great. You're in the middle. And being in the middle is actually the worst spot of all, which is not what I would have anticipated Jesus to say, right? Uh, I, if hot means great performance and cold means great antagonism and lukewarm is in the middle, which would you expect him to say is worse? Cold, right? Like if you're antagonistic to the gospel. But that's not what he says. He says lukewarm is, is the problem. We had a great discussion that stretched way too long in our Ahana group about this. Wednesday night. yeah, you're laughing, but you contributed to it. Uh, lukewarm means room temperature, right? Which means you're not affecting the temperature in the room at all. You're just going with the flow. You're just drifting with culture. You're doing whatever culture in the atmosphere coaches you to do. Uh, and that's terrible, Jesus says. Um, the room, you, the, you reflect what's happening around you rather than influencing what's happening around you. And Jesus' insight is even if you were a jerk, even if you were cold, at least you'd be influential. And it reminds me of his teaching at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, which is like, the job of salt is to be salty. The job of light is to illuminate, is to make a difference. And that's his standard. And so if you're a jerk, at least you're making a difference to the people around you. You know, turn to somebody nearby and say, you, good job with that. <laughs> we know. At least you're making a difference. Well done. 
Well done. You have aggravated me this morning. Excellent. Right? You will not get spit out. You get the point? You get the point, though? It, it, is, it is an interesting, provocative point that he's making to a church. So, like, if you're going to call yourself a church, at least make a difference. And I think we talk ourselves into doing things that don't make waves, and we call it righteousness. Right? Don't give offense, because good Christians are easy to swallow. No, they're not. Right? Inoffensiveness, in and of itself, not hot, not cold, just lukewarm. Nice. Being nice to people. Lukewarm. Actually. Doesn't mean go out and be mean to people. But it just means that nice doesn't make any difference. It just means that you're wallpaper. Nice wallpaper. Right? But you're not really being salty. You're not influencing the dish. You're not illuminating something that wouldn't otherwise be seen in life. You're just another nice flotsam floating on the current of culture. You know? So that's not really the intrinsic Christian spirit. Supportive. Let's just, I'm just going to support what you're doing. Well, it depends what you're doing, right? Because you can be just generally supportive and encouraging and not change anyone ever, right? So that in and of itself is not what we're talking about. Although, you know, supportiveness is essential. It's just not sufficient. You following me? Are you feeling me? So it's just such an interesting call that Jesus gave to the crowd at the beginning and gives to all the established churches in the end, he says the same thing. Whatever else you do, make a difference. You know, whatever else you do. And build it into your life and be clear how you're going to do it and wield your at so we could talk about how to do it. I had um, a number of conversations recently, like three or four just this week, about people outside the church talking to people who are unchurched about how COVID has affected them. And I'm, I'm having this type of conversation a lot. People are saying, I can't get back to life. I can't, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like they're not sick or anything. They're not affected physically by COVID. And maybe they didn't lose their job. Maybe they can go back to work. Or, but they're having a hard time moving in life. And I think it's because they've been told to not make waves, to be afraid, to be lukewarm. It's like they've lost their momentum, you know, and the worst sort of momentum to lose is spiritual momentum, intrinsic momentum. Like it's their life has been sucked away from them, you know, somehow. Which is to say the world really needs you. The world really needs you. Because the world has gone blah. For all the raging and the accusations and the outrage and the, all, all, all the battles that we fought over the last three years, it's funny that the end product to me has been a great blah out of people. Everyone afraid of being an individual. Everybody afraid to speak. Everybody afraid to do. Everybody not knowing. Blah. Chaos. Lukewarm. The world needs you. So we'll end with the question, what do you do to heat yourself up? What do you do to heat yourself up? It's such a great Christian skill. And uh, I'll just leave you with that today. As we go forward, 
at Blue Water Mission. Father God, I pray that by your spirit you would speak to every person here. I pray, Lord, that we would all join in the fellowship of salt and the fellowship of light. I pray, Lord, that you would save our lives, which is to say, save the purpose of our lives. (laughs) Uh, Put life back in our life because the world needs it. And uh, who but us uh, to bring the life of God, the life of, of Creator? In Jesus' name, everybody says...